This is an ABC podcast. The more I find out about these guys, the more confused I am, to be fair. How would you describe what they look like? <laughs> Politely. Uh, I don't have to be polite. You could call them a sabre-toothed sausage. They're about the size of a cocktail sausage. Or a baby walrus would be another good description. Let's get it out of the way. It looks like a dick that's long in the tooth. What the duck are we talking about? The naked mole rat. Yes, the naked mole rat. It sounds as if I'm just putting random words together, but I'm not. It's a thing. No, it's a species. And take note, because in this episode of our sometime series where I search for the weirdest creature on Earth, we might have just found the secret to eternal life. Sort of. I'm Ann Jones, and this is What the Duck. Well, at least you didn't say they were ugly. <laughs> this is Rachel Buffenstein, mole rat researcher, keeper, and actual real physiologist working in biomedical research. They lack a thick, dense fur layer, which makes them look, I guess, like you've pulled their hair out or a newborn animal, which is mm. probably why they do look a little vulnerable. But they do have, if you look very carefully, a layer of crisscrossing hairs. Oops, so they're not technically naked. They're used to sense direction. Certainly their sensory hairs are very, very important for them being able to run backwards and forwards with equal speed. Yes, they run backwards at the same speed that they run forwards. Their burrow lengths can extend as much as 3,000 metres. Three kilometres of burrows when an individual mole rat is as long as your pointer finger. They've got the longest burrow system of any known animal. It's a really extensive maze of underground burrows with main highways, more superficial burrows, a deep hole going down as an escape hole and various nest chambers throughout the system. It's not just a place to retreat to under the soils of northern Africa. The burrow is the whole world for the mole rat, from the very superficial, at six inches below the surface, that's two naked mole rats end on end, to about 1.8 metres deep, which is apparently about 23.3333 naked mole rats standing on each other's shoulders. And they live in very large colonies of up to 290 animals. They rest collectively in rugby ball-sized chambers several feet beneath the soil surface. Picture a big pile of fleshy mole rats flopped on one another like a bunch of raw sausages, peacefully sleeping in a huge staxon. Always near the nest chamber is a latrine or toilet, so they're very clean, they pee and poop outside of their, their nest areas. And they live, breathe and crap their whole life away under the soil. Oh, but not drink, oh no. Remember they're in a desert environment and they don't get any drinking water. All their water is going to be met by consuming bits of plant found beneath the soil surface. They burrow like crazy searching for potato-like tubers and can apparently clear a whole field of sweet potatoes out from below. And sometimes they even have pantries where they store snacks for later. And these naked-looking, potato-nibbling, tunnel-dwelling meat tubes also have enormous, long teeth. 
Intriguingly, those teeth are ever growing and they use them predominantly to uh, chew through soil, to burrow through the soil, to find roots and tubers. So that's their main digging machinery. Think beaver teeth on a todger, to use Prince Harry's nickname. But on the almost naked mole rat, the teeth are each about the size of a grain of rice. An interesting fact is that 25% of their muscle mass is located in their cheeks. You and I have bigger thighs, that's where most of our muscle mass is. Thank God for wide leg pants, am I right? And another intriguing fact is those incisors, especially the lower jaw ones, are unfused. So they're almost like snake teeth in that if something gets stuck between their teeth, they just move their teeth apart in a scissor-like action and stick their tongue between them so they don't need dental floss, so to speak. They can just push things up. But the crisscross hairs that enable you to run in reverse in the dark, the teeth that you can shift to floss, their affinity with roots, we're not even close to the weirdest stuff yet about these toothy knobs. I'll tell you that naked mole rats are social animals. They live in colonies like bees with a reproductive skew, so only one or two animals breed throughout their lifespan. And this is sometimes called a eusocial system of being. So eusociality is a very extreme form of cooperation and of social living, and it was first described in the social insects. Dr Alison Barker is with the Max Planck Institute of Brain Research, and she also looks after captive colonies of mole rats. It means that there's a reproductive division of labor, so not everyone in the colony reproduces, and usually this takes the form of a queen, single breeding female. There's also animals that are born into the colony tend not to leave. And then finally, there's a communal care of the pups or the young. And so this was observed in a lot of insects, and then it was a bit of a surprise that it was first seen in a rodent and in this kind of strange creature that is the naked mole rat. You know that nature isn't really interested in the binary lines of science, right? Trying to pigeonhole this rat or that mole into one way of being. And there are a couple of key differences between a hive of bees and a colony of naked mole rats. The term eusocial is highly controversial because unlike the eusocial insects, which have castes, and irreversible stages of life. If you're a bee, you're born a worker and you die a worker. But that's not the case for the tallywhacker with teeth. Any female in the colony can become a breeding female. Should the dominant female die, they will fight to death to establish dominance and will then undergo a massive growth surge to be able to carry the number of pups that they do. About 1% of all naked mole rats get the opportunity to become a breeding female. Okay, so in all likelihood, as a mole rat female, you'll spend your life as a nanny, getting some awesome tubers for food and some good naps in a pile of sausages, so it isn't all bad. But you do have the potential capacity to become the queen. Oh my God, they're like a motivational poster. Now, partially because these things look like pre-Viagra shower time in an old people's home, there are all sorts of stories about them out there on the internet because, you know, the images are, they're, they're clickable. So seeing as I have some experts here on the line, it is time to set the record straight and find out what's naked mole myth and what's naked mole rat fact. 
I read that naked mole rats will never ever see the sky, they'll never frolic in a meadow a la The Sound of Music, and they'll certainly never see the stars on a romantic evening in the African desert. No, it's not true, in that we have occasionally found animals on the surface, but they certainly don't forage on the surface. They have such a thin skin, they don't hop and bounce around like mice. In fact, their legs do look pretty puny in comparison to their tube. Chances of them finding a mate, finding another burrow or building another burrow before they get eaten or desiccated are very remote. So I think, yes, occasionally if their burrow is disturbed, they will be found on the surface. But I would say most of their behaviour is such that they live an underground existence. But then the question remains, how do or do they disperse? How does a new colony potentially form? Most animals in the colony never leave the colony in which they were born. But when they're out foraging and extending their burrow system kilometres of length, they get away from the dominant breeding female who suppresses their uh, reproductive hormones primarily by being a bully. Uh, she keeps them in check and if they've been away from her for more than a day or so because they've burrowed quite far, they can start hormonally cycling and a brother and sister may walk into the sunset, block the burrow system and start a new burrow. Yes. I feel like I've got a lot to unpack here for my fellow mole rat enthusiasts. The females are kept in subordinate roles by being bullied. The dominant female suppresses their hormones socially, and this is incredible just in itself. But if those subordinates go off foraging and they're away at the other end of kilometres of burrows for a while, they slowly come out of that suppressed state. And when they look over their shoulder, ready for action, who is next to them? It's their brother, or their cousin, or some relatively closely related individual, most likely. Alrighty then, so myth number one it, uh, had more than I bargained for. They might never see the sky with some bonus what-the-duck facts thrown in for good measure. It probably doesn't really matter that they never see the sky because I read that these pearly white-crowned rumple foreskins are basically blind. They do have really tiny little pinpricks of eyes, that is for sure. The naked morat has the thinnest optic nerve of any known mammal. Its visual cortex, the region of the brain responsible for perceiving images, is innervated by hairs on its body. So if you touch the hairs around its mouth or the hairs on its tail, the visual cortex lights up. Their retina is totally disorganized. So it's very clear they cannot see images, but they can respond to light flashing so this is semantics. What do we mean by blind? If you took my glasses off, I'd be legally blind, um, <laughs> even though I can see light and dark, and I think they're probably in a similar kind of situation. Okay, so they're not totally blind, but their eyes are on the way to being gone. But their whiskery body hairs are actually linked up to what we might think of as the visual sensing part of the brain, which is absolutely not to say that these dentally blessed dinglings are not aware of their environment or of each other. Quite the opposite. I know that they have a rich vocalisation repertoire of more than 25 different sounds and not only do they have different 
sounds, but depending on where you are in the social hierarchy, you might cheap one time or 30 times to establish your social status. They make these soft, uh, very bird-like chirps. Alison Barker back again from the Max Planck Institute, describing the first time she heard a captive naked mole rat colony. And I can only describe it as having this kind of yeah, surprising disconnect because you see a rodent and you expect maybe a certain interaction or a certain type of sound. And it sounded like someone had put birds in the room. These particular sounds right now are of captive colonies kept in plastic containers, which are linked by lots of little pipes. Julian Berger of the Barker Lab recorded them and you can hear both the vocal sounds and the movement on plastic. Yeah, they, they were being fed at the time and so they were especially vocal because they tend to uh, be very, I don't know, very active when there's food sources around. Me too. We've kind of broadly grouped the sounds into, you know, positive sounds, so sounds that are affiliated with, like, courtship or, I mean, romance, if you will. And so these would be whistles and twitters and v-trills. The whistle is my favourite. It literally sounds like a mole rat is doing the oi whistle. And here's a mole rat doing it again, where I've altered the sound by slowing it down so you can hopefully hear some of that complexity. And again... And again. And the mole rats often put these whistles alongside trills and twitters to sing little duets to one another. Okay, when I slow this one down, it sounds like air being let out of a balloon. But you get the idea that within the squeaks, there's actually quite a lot of acoustic information. These are usually made by the male and the queen when they sing to each other. And so it seems that the male in some ways tries to create these variable little songs where he will try to impress the queen. This is interesting because we found in the colony that the individuals that had the most vocal variability tend to be the breeding males. And usually in a colony, there's only one queen and there's, you know, one to three breeding males. So there does seem to be some... Uh, let's say, competition for the affection of the queen. And so I think that this has kind of driven these beautiful exchanges. We've now realized that the queen also sings back a little bit. And so we're trying to figure out how that's coordinated and what that signifies. I love them so much. <laughs> oh, me <laughs> too, so me cool. too. <laughs> and then there's a, a series of aggressive sounds. So we have the grunt. Yes, it sounds like the mole rat is delivering a raspberry. <laughs> The loud chirp, the scream. These are usually kind of on a spectrum of escalation when animals will be alarmed. And then I think, you know, one of my favorites, which we still have no idea what it means, is the toilet call, which was described in the early literature and we were able to validate this. It seems that when the queen or the breeding male use the toilet chamber, they make a little song and it's like a several syllable toilet call. And this is very reliable and we have no idea what it means. Just like da 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 da. Yeah, I mean, it, is, it does kind of have that vibe. Yeah, it does sound pretty proud to me. And, and I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, as a scientist, it's kind of fun to to like think of these you know, creative solutions to what you observe. And um, this one still baffles me. Some things are meant to be mysteries, 
But one answer that Alison Barker has uncovered is the different vocal patterns depending on what mole rat colony you belong to. And to identify these accents, she used the most common of all sounds in the colony, the soft chirp. Um, which is used by all the animals in the colony as this kind of greeting call. Wait, cut the music. We need to listen to this. It's a kind of gentle chirp, but much like a bird uh, would chirp. Naked mole rats use it when they greet one another, so when they're interacting in the colony, they'll have a little, it's kind of like a hi, 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 hi um, exchange, and so we thought that that would be a good place to look for some sort of social information. We discovered that the naked mole rats use these kind of vocal signifiers to kind of communicate which colony they belong to. And what we were really surprised about is how flexible it was. So it seems that they're able to modify these early in life. So if you're a baby mole rat that's raised in one colony, even if you were born in another colony, you can kind of adopt the dialect of the colony that you were raised in. So there seems to be you know, they seem to be somehow sampling the environment and then adapting their vocal behaviour. This means the dialects were learned, not genetically inherited. And along with the dialect, the accent, comes the abilities to sledge your neighbours. OK, well, first of all, I, I didn't use that word. I don't. And know. now, look, Alison was quick to point out it wasn't her word, but the naked mole rats have been labelled to be, you know, a bit xenophobic. We did a series of playback experiments. So basically what that means is we would put naked mole rat in a chamber and play back different sounds uh, that were recorded from members of their own colony or another colony. And then we asked uh, if they had a preference about where they would hang out. As in, do you want to hang out with someone who's got the same accent as you or someone who sounds a bit foreign? When they did hear sounds from their own colony, they would selectively respond to them. So they would chirp back. And this was a really robust result. In this sense, they would only chirp back to sounds from their own colony. So they ignored the tusky muscle tubes that were not from their home group. But I suppose when your survival in an environment is actually dependent on being part of a group, then getting the cold shoulder from a group is quite an aggressive move. Because, you know, exclusion equals death. Yeah, actually, that is true, especially, you know, I, I like how you frame that because they are so incredibly social. So I think, yeah, that could be very, in some ways, more detrimental. There are so many things about the naked mole rat that have evolved alongside or because of their extremely socially dependent lifestyle. Okay, so their hypoxic tolerance is really pretty well documented. I've kept animals under 7% oxygen for more than 10 days and they can survive that. A mouse won't survive that if you put them in there for more than an hour. Yes, they can survive in oxygen-poor environments and in high CO2 atmospheres as well. In the case of mole rats, we've gone to 80% CO2 in the atmosphere and their lungs do not fill with water. And why would they be able to withstand such a crappy environment? Because they're social. They rest together in large groups in the chamber the size of a rugby ball. And you can imagine if there's, let's choose a number, 100 animals sleeping in that size chamber. And remember, the colony size can be as high as 300. Uh, there's a lot of CO2 that's going to build up in this chamber. They've evolved to tolerate these extreme conditions just so they can reap the benefits of communal living. So these Peggy Peckers 
build structures underground that reach something like 39,000 times their own body length. They love potato, they love to sing little songs to each other, and they can also survive in an environment that would probably kill you or I. In fact, there are some who believe that the big-toothed trouser snake may just be holding the secret to being forever young. Naked mole rats live five to six times longer than predicted on the basis of their body size. The oldest naked mole rat in Rochelle Buffenstein's colony died just short of its 40th birthday. Now, to put that in context for a very small rodent, most mice don't make it past three years. So 40 is incredible for a Savaloy-sized orthodontic inpatient. Fascinatingly for me, the breeding female seems to live the longest of everybody in the colony. And it flies in the face of what we think of as motherhood, doesn't it? It seems to shorten your lifespan with the stress. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it flies in the face of one of the most widely accepted dogmas of ageing, and that is the disposable soma theory of ageing, which says you either invest in looking after your own somatic tissues or in reproduction, you can't do both. Clearly, in the case of the naked mole rat, you can do both. You can have it all, naked mole rat ladies just phenomenal. So do you have any idea on what's going on? Because I'm pretty sure that people like Elon Musk want to know how to live forever. <laughs> He's not alone. You've got so many of the billionaire class wanting to, I can tell you a bunch of others, all billionaires are all sort of sponsoring aging research at the moment on the quest to attain immortality. Oh, wow. And does that include some research into naked mole rats? Yeah, I think really? there are a couple of places that are using naked mole rats as their main model. What? <laughs> and studies have also shown that they don't just have a long lifespan, they're a model of healthy ageing. They don't get cancer. Yeah, they do not get cancer. Cancer is very rare in naked mole rats. Ah, they almost do not get cancer. I've had 10 cases of cancer in maybe three or 4,000 necropsies. If you contrast that with a mouse, by the time they're 18 months of age, at least 60% of them show some form of cancerous lesion. In contrast that, we've seen less than 1% of our animals, one in a thousand, if not less than that, are getting tumours during ageing. And do you know the secret? <laughs> well, that's the million dollar question. If you can fund the next set of studies on cancer resistance, we'd be happy to go that route. Um, yeah, I'd have to pass the hat around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about any of you, but eternal life doesn't actually seem that great to me. I mean, my back aches. I can't get up from the floor without making a noise that sounds something like that viral Labrador walking out of a filthy lake and dry retching. You know the one. Yeah, that one. Life is great, but it hurts, you know. Well, mole rats have an answer to that too. They sort of don't feel pain. It is true that naked mole rats are immune to certain types of pain. If you and I are in a high carbon dioxide environment, our eyes start to burn. The naked mole rats don't sense that acid burn. They have a mutation in their voltage-gated sodium channels, 
which prevent them from feeling that acid burn, so it doesn't worry them. They're unable to detect the burning sensation that you or I would feel when we're chopping up a chili pepper. In addition, they're also insensitive to acidic stimuli. So for example, the burn you might feel from lemon juice or other types of acids. Put your willies away, everyone. These befanged wangs have got things sorted. What the Duck is an ABCRN production. I'm Ann Jones and this program is produced by Patria Ladgrove and made on the lands of the Ghana and Wadawurrung people. And hey, this is the last ep that Joel Werner is doing with us because he's changing jobs. So thanks for being such a huge positive energy behind the Duck, Joel. You heard sounds supplied by Alison Barker and Julian Berger. And thank you to Gary Lewin, Rochelle Buffenstein and Alison for so kindly putting up with the reels of completely stupid questions about mole rats that I was asking instead of very important things. Did you get any recordings of them snoring? Do they snore? Oh, that is a great question. It's really not. But the verdict, it's not, we're not completely sure about that yet, let's say, but the question is still open. Do they fart? Oh, um. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.